Well, good morning again. It's great to be with you. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we are wrapping up a sermon series called The Liturgy of Life, where we're looking at each of the components of our liturgy and how they propel us into life, how they send us back into our everyday lives, and how each fits together and builds to sort of a, a, a culmination. And this morning, we're looking at that culmination, the blessing and the sending, the benediction. So appropriately, we're ending our series with the very end of the service. And then next week begins Advent, where, we, where we'll be uh, doing an entirely new sermon series. And we'll tell you about that over email this week. Um, let me read our Old Testament reading and then pray for us. This is Numbers chapter 6. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you to give and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we culminate this series of looking at how our liturgy is organized and how we are as a community and as individuals to go through it each and every week. Father, I pray that it would tune us in better to how we are to participate, both as individuals and as a gathered community. And Father, I pray that we would see more and more how what we do in worship is not to be left here. It's not done only in this hour and a half, but it is done to change who we are, to change the way that we go about life, to change our relationships. And so, Father, as we talk about the benediction, the good word that you leave us with each and every Sunday, I pray that we would sit under that. I pray that we would reflect upon what that tells us about ourselves, and I pray that it would change us and that we would see Jesus. Father, I pray in his name. Amen. So many, if not most, of our decisions that we make each and every day are rooted in how we view ourselves, and that's fairly obvious. But often, how we view ourselves is based upon what we've heard from other people, what they've told us or what we've told ourselves. And sometimes things are true, sometimes they're not. But if you're told that you're the good child, if you're told that you're the golden child, then you begin to live out of that identity, that your choices are made out of that identity. They're rooted in that. Or you, so you, you come to become that good child. You behave. Or you hide the things about you that kind of discredit that image. If you're told that you're a really good student by your teacher, then generally speaking, you begin to try harder. You want to make good grades. If you're told that you're vital to the firm or the company, then you want to do a good job. You try to do a good job. You work harder. You work more hours. Well, the benediction is more than just a, a perfunctory closing remark that tells you that it's now time to go. But it's a blessing over you that defines who you are. And it sends you into a world, into our world, with a very different identity and purpose. This is a very ancient practice. It's a very ancient practice that Israel, that the church has always had at the end of their worship service, a word from God that defines the people, that tells them who they are, and then sends them back into their daily lives. And here in number six, this is the ironic or priestly blessing. And Aaron was the older brother of Moses, and it was his tribe, his family, that became the priestly tribe for Israel. 
They were in charge of the sacraments. They were in charge of the, the sacrificial system. And they were also in charge of speaking to God's people on his behalf. And so to Moses, God says, tell Aaron, tell the priest and the priestly class, this is what I want him to tell my people. First of all, the Lord bless you and keep you. What is blessing? Well, our English word doesn't capture kind of the the largeness of what blessing is in the Old Testament and in all of the scriptures. In the creation narrative in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, God stands back from what he has made and he makes a benediction over his creation. He says, look at this creation. It is good. And he blesses it. And the word benediction comes from two Latin words that mean good word. That the benediction is a good word. God looks at his creation and says, it is good. He blesses his creation. And for him, it was no surprise that it came out right. He knew what he wanted to make, and he made it perfectly. And he says this is good, not out of surprise, but out of blessing and out of delight. And that's not how we, re- we do it. I've been rebuilding my bathroom, and after I cut a piece of sheetrock and I carry it in and I put it up and it actually fits, I look at it and instead of saying, oh, it's good, I say, thank goodness that it actually fit. I stand at the doorway and I admire my work, but I'm just glad that it fits together and I have putty and tape to cover over the imperfections. But you see, God knew from beginning what he wanted to make and he made it perfectly and he stands back and he admires it and he delights in it. And do you know what he made? Not only all of the universe, but he made you. And he stands back and says, it is good that you are good, that you are made in his image. You are made in the way that he wanted to make you and he delights in you and he admires what he has made in you. And that's the first aspect of blessing, this subjective joy over something. And in this context, this subjective joy over you that he tells Aaron, tell my people that I bless them. Tell my people I love and delight in them. But there's something more to blessing. How wonderful it is to know that God delights in us, but if a parent or child, to- a parent told a child over and over, I love you, I love you, I love you, but then didn't provide for them, didn't advocate for them, didn't protect them, didn't show that love in material ways, then we would see that that statement of love was hollow or insincere. Benediction, you see, is more than just a subjective feeling, but it's an objective commitment that God makes to his people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord bless you and be gracious to you. In the ancient world, the practice was to hand down inheritance, hand down land through the generations, through the families, largely through the male heir. And this is reflected in the Bible. And we see the fathers, the patriarchs, calling their family in at the very end of their life and gives a benediction over them. And he blesses them. And he says, I long for your good. I long for your prosperity. May your lands increase. May you experience joy and love. But it's not just a subjective wish or delight or desire. The father actually gives something. He grants land. He grants his inheritance He says, I want you to be blessed, and in order for you to be blessed, I bestow my property on you in order to achieve that good. 
he commits tangibly his possessions to his heirs. And this is the second part of what blessing means. When God says, I bless you, he is saying, I delight in you and I am committed to your good. I'm committed to achieve your good, even if it cost me something very important. He doesn't just wish the good, but he achieves it on your behalf. We are all built for such a benediction. We're built to look for that sort of benediction. We look for that benediction in our, in our spouse, in our friends, in our coworkers, in our roommates. We want that good word from them. We want that blessing. Don't we long to be chosen to receive that good word? From the schoolyard when we were growing up to the altar, we're longing creatures that are wanting to be chosen. When you're in sixth grade and you're on the basketball court and you're chosen, you feel like you can take on the world. And when someone, and you're an, as an adult, and you get the job, you're chosen for a very important job. You're chosen by someone that says, I want to spend the rest of my life with you alone. You feel like you can silence all the other negative voices because you have that benediction from someone who matters to you. But you see, these things don't last. They're not guarantees. What happens when you're on the ball court and you don't get chosen? You're the last person. No one wants you. They just have to take you. What happens when your marriage isn't giving you that positive feedback it once did? What happens when you don't get the job that you feel so qualified for? Getting a good word in these situations is amazing. It's wonderful. But it's ultimately not the kind of benediction that we're looking for or that we need. Because no benediction, whether it's from others or from ourselves, is lasting, is sure, is trustworthy enough. Maybe it's subjective. The husband says, I'm going to stick by you even though I don't really like you anymore. <laughs> it's my duty to stay in this marriage. There's an objective commitment, but there's no subjective feeling. There's no delight. There's no admiration. There's no joy. Or maybe uh, marriage is all joy. It's all delight. It's all subjective. But you're not sure if once that begins to wane and expire, if that person is going to walk out on you. When you have God's benediction, however, you know who you are, finally, because He tells you, I am for you, I delight in you, I love you, and I'm committed to you for all eternity. It's not situational, it's not fickle, it's trustworthy and dependable. And that's why it says in verse 26, the Lord give you peace. Peace is another of these incredibly huge Hebrew words, the word for shalom, it means everything in its right place, everything functioning perfectly, that you have the delight that you long for, that your deepest desires are being met. That's what shalom means for an individual. Knowing that you are his delight and you have his commitment to your life is this path, is the only true pathway to ultimate joy, to ultimate peace or shalom. And without that, we'll constantly be looking for benediction. We'll constantly be trying to grasp it from other people, from our coworkers, from our boss, from our spouse, from our friends, and it will never be enough. We'll keep piling it on, and it will never sustain us. But it says something else. It says the Lord make His face shine upon you. 
I remember a Sesame Street episode back in the 70s where the Muppet Klaus Mueller has an 87-hour staring contest with a tree. And at the end of the 87 hours, what does the tree do? Well, it falls over, it breaks in the middle at the point that Klaus Mueller has been staring at it for 87 hours. There's power in looking at someone in the eyes. We know that when we walk down the street and you see a stranger coming, you make eye contact and you think, what do I do now? Do I look away or do I keep staring? It's weird. There's power in staring at someone. There's power in looking at someone in the eyes. And even our closest friends, we may be looking at them in the eyes and we break off contact because the relationship isn't quite ready for that sort of intimacy. When we're estranged from someone, when we're ashamed, when we're angry, we may turn our face away. Little kids know this. They look away when they're in trouble. My dog even knows this. If I stare at her, she thinks she's done something wrong and she cowers and looks away. We turn our face away when the relationship can't bear the intimacy. But what God tells Aaron to say to them, to us, tell them, I turn my face toward them. My face lights up when I think about them. Tell them that, Aaron. They need to know that. Tell them that I smile upon them. But do we have the courage to look back? Do we have the courage to stare back and look at God in the eyes? Often no, because we know ourselves. And in the same way in a human relationship, we want to look away because we're scared that that person will actually see something about us they don't like. We turn away and we look away from God. We don't return the gaze. We don't return the loving smile. How do we have the courage to look back? How do we have the courage to be seen and not be afraid? Can we really believe that He looks upon us with a loving smile that never turns upside down, that never turns into a frown? Do you believe that? Well, the way you believe that is you see what God has done on your behalf. You see not just subjective feelings, but commitment, action. And we read in 1 John, this is how God showed His love among us. Do you want to know how much He loves you? Do you want to know that He's committed to you? This is how you know it. This is how He shows His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world so that we may live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God first, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The God of the universe looks upon you. He gazes at you with great joy and delight, but we can't stand the, the intimacy that that brings, the vulnerability of that, that that brings, and so we cover up, we look away. We know ourselves. We hide from human intimacy. We give only parts of ourselves. We perform. We try to hide the negative parts so that this person won't reject us. We don't want those subjective feelings falling away. We're always looking and trying to acquire approval. We've learned the hard way that love isn't free. But did you hear that Jesus came to be an atoning sacrifice for us? Objective, eternal commitment. And this is different than every other relationship because you're granted intimacy that you don't earn. How do you grow an intimacy with someone in a human relationship? Well, you show yourself trustworthy. You show yourself worthy to receive secrets that you're not going to share with other people. 
you give intimacy yourself. But in some way, we know that we have to earn someone's intimacy in a human relationship. But here we see something different because it's not because you've proven yourself to be trustworthy that you're granted intimacy, but it's solely out of the sheer delight of God. And therefore, Aaron can say, may his face shine upon you. And this may word is a little bit unfortunate because it makes it sound like a wish. It makes it sound like a hope that he might do this, but it's actually a pronouncement of what is true. It is a pronouncement that only the priest could say to the people because the priest was qualified to speak for God. And this is what God tells him to say. May his face shine upon you, or in other words, pronounce upon the people that my face shines upon them. I grant them intimacy that they did not earn. I grant them a trustworthy commitment that they could never acquire by performing, by being good, by earning anything. This is God granting intimacy out of His free grace. It's Him granting knowledge and closeness that we couldn't possibly grasp on our own. You see, Moses asked to see God's face. Moses said, God, let me see your face. It's a request for intimacy. He wants to know this magnificent God who showed up in a burning bush. May I see your face, God? No. Because anyone who would see my face would die. No one can see my face and live. But here, it seems like God wants to show his face to everyone, that he's indiscriminate with this offer of intimacy. And this is astounding because what Moses was told, what Moses helped to write down in the first five books of the Bible is that humanity had forfeited the face of God. Humanity had given up the face of God. We forfeited intimacy with Him. And this was the main point of the first few chapters of the Bible, that Genesis tells us we had the face of God. We had intimacy We had him choosing to be with us, to live with us in closeness and knowledge and intimacy. And we turned away. We broke the gaze. We looked away. And where do you see Adam and Eve? Hiding. Covering over themselves. Covering over their nakedness. The intimacy is lost. The face of God is lost. Deciding to be our own lords and our own masters, the captains of our own souls, we choose to look away from God and we don't get to to enjoy His face, His smile. We forfeit that. You see, we gave away not the presence of God because God is everywhere, but we give away His face, the love relationship, the personal relationship. And so Moses would know and we should know that if He's being so indiscriminate with his offer of intimacy so generous in his blessing that it must be an act of radical grace. And we see that the benediction coming where it does in the worship service gives us an idea of how this radical grace transpires, how we get to participate in it. For Moses, the benediction would have come at the end of the service, at the end of the tabernacle service, and never at the beginning. The good word is never pronounced first, There's a call to worship, and then at the end, there's a benediction, the good word. What happens in the middle? 
It's after the offerings. It's after the sacrifices. It's after the atonement, the blood sacrifices for sin. After that transpires, then Aaron can stand up and give them a good word. Do you see what's just transpired? Now you know the radical grace of God that He did for you what you could not do for yourself. And it's the same way in our liturgy, in our worship service. After we bow our lives at the call to worship, after we confess our sin, after we say we're in need of grace, we're in need of an atoning sacrifice, after we give ourselves an offering, after we hear the Word of God define our lives and our future, after we receive the Lord's Supper and participate in that meal, and we see the links to which God has done, gone to love us and to give us His life, then we receive the good Word. It's after this that we receive the benediction. You see, in worship, we're not doing those things which God rewards, but we're practicing a posture that is ready to receive God's radical grace. And all of worship prepares us to receive that radical grace. And it defines for us over and over how radical and how deep and how incomprehensible that grace actually is. That someone, that myself, can stand over you and over me and say, God loves you. God delights in you. Despite of every reason that you give him not to, he pursues you, he wants intimacy with you, and he smiles over you. And that that's not just a wish, that that's a pronouncement. That's something that is true. We're receiving God's benediction after we've lived through the worship service that depicts Jesus' sacrificial work on our behalf. The blessing, the promise of God's face comes after rehearsing what God has done to make that intimacy possible. But guess what? There's one more thing, and I'll leave you with this, because... There's something more. We don't just get his face, that is access, intimacy, but you get his name. Do you hear the New Testament reading? And also in verse 27 here in Numbers. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Whenever someone is baptized, when we bring them up here, you'll hear me say, you are now baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's the very same thing. When you become a Christian, the way God blesses you is He doesn't just shine on you. He doesn't just smile on you. He doesn't just make you feel loved, but He puts His name upon you. He commits Himself to you. He is achieving in that that sacrament what you couldn't do in and of yourself. And then the benediction is simply a reaffirmation of baptism. Every time you hear a benediction, it's reconfirming to you as a baptized person what God says about you in your baptism. That you not only get His face, you get His name. Imagine a, an orphan, a child, alone in the world, completely powerless, forlorn. They bounced around the foster care system. And then finally, some family adopts them. And they're invited into their home. Not as one more step, not as one more point in the journey to the next home, but this family says, no, we want you. We've always thought about you being in our home. Even though we didn't have a face, we didn't have a name, we wanted you. And you can stay with us forever. And we're going to give you our name. We're going to formally adopt you and bring you into our family. And you never have to go to another house again. 
This person, this child, gets the family name put on him. He gets a new identity. He gets a security that he's never had before. He gets intimacy that he's never experienced before. You see, friends, it's not just that God thinks good thoughts about you, although how could we possibly ever comprehend how massive and wonderful that is? It's not just that he thinks good thoughts of you, that he has positive feelings about you, but that he has made you his, that he's adopted you into his family by his own choice, by his own radical free grace. He's given you something that you could have never aspired to, you could have never even asked for, because who could assume that they have a place at God's table? Who could say, I deserve that place? Give me that seat. Instead, God says, would you come and take this seat? It's yours forever. And friends, this is why the benediction is not only crucial to our worship, but it's crucial to our life. Because by it, we are reminded who we are and whose we are. We are reminded whose life we have and how we are to live. In Christ, in Christ God has turned his face toward us and has given us eternal peace. And it's in that name and in that face that we live, that we love, and that we also serve each other and those outside. Let's pray for our time. Father, we thank you that we can bless one another because you have blessed us, that we can give a good word to one another because we have your good word. Father, let us be a church that is filled with people who, through praising and affirming and opening and connecting and naming the people around us. Let us build other people up because you've built us up. Father, we thank you for your benediction. We thank you that we're not left wondering each and every week, do you really love us? Do you really have us? Do you really have our best interest at heart? But Lord, as we go through this worship service and in a few minutes as we come to the table and then receive the benediction, let us receive it as our name. Let us receive it as a gift of intimacy with you that we can take hold of and that we can enjoy, but that we can never lose. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.